Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. John Ramstead here with Sandra Crawford-Williamson. And our guest today, Sandra, oh my gosh, it was like you two had this Vulcan mind meld. It's uh, it's Michael Gale. Uh, he wrote a book called The Digital Helix. Now, guys, don't check out. This is, this is an awesome interview about transformation personally, uh, culturally, um, digitally, and... Uh, and Sandra, th- this this was an interview that man that was just right in your wheelhouse, wasn't it? It really was. Yes, I mean Michael Gale. He's got an a, just amazing background in the digital world in general. Um, you know, he's he's run companies, he started companies, and um, he's turned now into the managing partner of Inc. Digital. And, uh, you know, they're a really successful firm that's all about digital transformation. And, you know, what I love about them, go to his LinkedIn account. It's Michael Gale, G-A-L-E. He has some amazing content on there that's just free, like two or three times a week. They're basically giving away their secret sauce. But he has um, this fantastic approach to to change, to transformation. And, and. In his case, he's using that to help companies transform in the digital world, but it's really a process that you could you could use to transform anything. So it's a fantastic interview. You know, he gives great, realistic um, tips for business owners and employees, and you know, people that are trying to just figure out this whole digital world for their business. Um, so you know, you need to take a listen if, if you're dealing with that. Take a listen if you're trying to make some changes in your life to, to transform, whether it's your marriage or um, you know your health. And uh, it's going to be great. You're going to really enjoy it. Yeah, and so, so um, Michael talks about, you know, when, I, when we were talking about this topic, Sandra, I'm thinking, okay, digital, digital helix transformation. It's kind of in the marketing sales area, and that's not what this conversation uh, is about at all. It's about how the world of digital interfaces with our human in relationship world. Uh, Michael just talks about our belief systems and how we use digital to create better relationships and empower people and creativity and better teams and better organizations and be more nimble. And he goes through all the different elements of how to handle change and put this in place. And I'll tell you, everybody listening right now, whether you are a coach sitting at home alone in your basement office or you're the CEO of a Fortune 100. I don't think we've had a topic that is so relevant and actionable and applicable across pretty much anybody that could be listening. Don't you think, Sandra? Absolutely, absolutely. This one is spot on for every single person out there. So without further ado, guys, here, enjoy our conversation with Michael Gale. You're gonna love this. And we'd love to hear from you on some of your takeaways Um, about our conversation with Michael. Just join us on our Facebook page. We'd love to see you there. Talk to you soon. All right, welcome, everybody. We have Michael Gale with us today. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Now, Sandra, we just had a wonderful kind of pre-conversation with Michael, didn't we? We did. He's so lovely. Yes, and he's from Seattle, originally from from uh, United Kingdom. Uh, but Michael, uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is really kind of the rate and speed of change, and how do we really transform, 
you know, organizations that we're part of to thrive in, in what you call the digital age, right? What's happening today and how we define yeah. an organization, Michael, is, you know, two or more people in relationships. So, that, you know, this could be a marriage, a ministry, a startup company, you know, a global 1000 company. But everybody in every role is dealing with a dynamic that has really kind of has definitely morphed um, significantly over the last couple decades, hasn't it? Yes, it has morphed, uh, but I think the speed is so fast and so multidimensional and directional now, it's actually quite challenging to really even predict what the next year could look like, let alone correctly annotate what the last three or four years have felt like. Yeah, and when you say, you know, multidimensionally, so, you know, people out there listening, and, and this is an area that you're just such an expert in, you know, what are some of the, the aspects, the elements of, of change today? So we often draw a Venn diagram that sort of talks about things that are driving these changes, uh, challenges in responding to them, and then how you particularly act. And that intersection between driver, challenge, and action is what we call the digital helix zone. But I just I could almost throw a bunch of cards in the air and you talk about the ability for organizations to start literally at the drop of a hat, buy infrastructure, get people, go to market. Uh, we could talk about the shift in demographics where we can also talk about the fact that customers now know as much about, maybe more about you as a company than you know yourself. It's an incredibly level playing field. And I think one of the challenges organizations face, whether or not it's a partnership which three people or five or 10,000 is that the old rules for running business, developing services have sort of almost been, I think, shredded in many ways because you have to act together uh, very fast. You have to share infinite amounts of knowledge. And the problem then becomes is if you're not philosophically well aligned, it's really difficult to try and fit old methodologies into a new world. And whereas we could have done that for a while, up to three or four years ago, you can't do that going forward. You have to think as a much more shared, loving construct. Otherwise, things will just fall off the wagon. Well, and you've worked with some incredible brands, MasterCard, Southwest, IBM, um, Forbes. I mean, just Seattle he Seahawks, my personal favorite as a sports mm -hmm. fan. So you've seen some great you know, business transformation, but you've also seen some failures, so what have you ever discovered, you know, what's a common trait that you see in businesses that fail to make the changes necessary? Yeah, so we're actually about to redo some work with Forbes that will produce an algorithm that could answer that question for you. So you could press a button, it will give you a list of priorities by segment. But I think we found two things that really drive it. I think the first thing is attempting to wrap yourself digitally and not change it is a recipe for disaster. It's sort of like saying, well, if I put on tight clothing, I've lost weight. It, it doesn't work. Yeah. And when you say wrap yourself digitally, what do you mean by that, Michael? Um, we'll have a, we'll have a digital. So here's a classic example for a startup business. We'll just have a website and uh, we won't have a retail store, but people will come to the website and they'll buy whatever they want and we'll service it. That's wrapping digitally because the reality of having a, a digital or virtual environment is the things that really drive success are really different around customer service and support, 
you know, what people have said about the experience can be found instantly online, is that trying to just put something digital in doesn't mean that you actually have transformed. In other words, you can't buy your way to digital success. It's the same issue to do with belief systems. You just can't read something and think you have a deep understanding of that belief system. Um, the question I think that really happens to most organizations is they try and do this in the right way, sort of, but they only do it with three or four or five of the right elements and therefore they sort of get it wrong because they don't get it complete. So one problem is wrapping and the other issue I think is incompleteness and it's the incompleteness that damages most organizations because they have all the right intent to get there but they haven't got all the right things in the right place and that's very dangerous because you can waste a lot of money. I mean, here's a scary number. $1.7 trillion was invested in digital transformation last year, uh, 1.7 trillion. That's the size of the Italian economy. Um, it's enormous. It's about the 10th biggest economy in the world. And we probably estimated in the book about $1.4 trillion of that were wasted. So about 84% wow. of, yeah, it's an incredible number. You could actually give everybody in the world $290 in cash from that money. $1.4 trillion spread across 7 billion people was about $290. That could feed most families for two or three months outside the US. So the, the sum of wastage is absolutely enormous. And I think that's a real concern when it comes down to intent, not really meeting design, but just being trying to be driven by actions. And that's where most people fail. Well-intentioned, not complete spend money in the wrong way, large, small, or medium-sized organizations. Well, and, and Michael, in you know, your book, Digital Helix, um, you talk about digital transformation. You just referenced it. Could you share a little bit more about how you define that um, and also why that um, doing it well is becoming more and more important? Yeah, so let me define what it is. Digital transformation is the application of a, of technology, not just as technology, but to run your business. So at the most simplest level, it's like saying, do we have a retail store or do we just have a website? In other words, everything you run as a business is run through that technology lens, whether or not you're servicing customers on social media, you're building AI or automation systems inside your organization, you've decided to build your business or you're gonna transform your business to be built off technology, not bricks and mortar, they may be there, but literally off technology. Some of it's automated, run by machines, uh, some of it is human enabled, but it's, it's digital, at its core and it's digital by nature. Well, I, you know, love because you've talked a lot about social media and people ask you a lot about, you know, what would the world be without social media and what do you think about Facebook and all this stuff? But I love your open letter that you wrote to Mark Zuckerberg. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was great. And, and one of the key things is, um, you know, behave like you're the founding father that you are, you know, and, and can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's a really neat point. Well, first of all, thank you for reading it. Uh, they didn't respond, which may be in itself is an indication. Oh, of course they didn't. He didn't, they have he didn't post it, like it, and share it, Michael? That's odd. <laughs> yes, the sarcasm aside. Yeah, but it is an in, it's a very important issue. I think technology has, for the first time, 
given us a moral obligation is that we can do so much with technology. We have to really think about what the consequences of it are for humanity at, at a very deep level because we can do dangerous things intentionally or unintentionally and the human race isn't fully aware of what it's experiencing yet. So the argument to Mark was, look, if you're going to benefit to the tune of $65 billion from something you invented or you manufactured or you, whatever you did, you have an obligation back to society because you know more than we do about it to help us understand what the consequences of each of our behaviors are on Facebook and not hide from it with the, oh, well, it's, you know, in page 65 of the um, digital rights document you sign and the fonts 2.6. And I think leaders that have created or been lucky to find something of that power have an ethical obligation, maybe you could ask it moral, to get back and help people use it properly. And, you know, whether or not it's Oppenheimer with, with the nuclear bomb and his recognition about what was created or, or Mark with Facebook, I think they have... Uh, you could argue blatantly or ignorantly ignored a moral obligation to teach people what it is to use this and not use it and how that data is now a currency that measures who we are. It's not just a bunch of ones and zeros on a on a data storage system. Yeah, I, I love that. And you talk specifically in this letter about um, trust, you yes. know, and consumer trust. And uh, I think that's kind of your point. Oh, it's completely. But, you know, he has a, an obligation to, to help teach us, not, mm -hmm. not just to extract. And I, one analogy I was going to use is, you know, the buying of New Amsterdam by the British for um, a chain of beads and some alcohol it is that we can't treat people like that. You have to treat people with a fair market assessment of value for their asset if they don't understand what that asset is. And I think that Facebook has been guilty of avoiding that discussion for a long time. Yeah, yeah. They've been so focused on profits and stock share price that um, they've forgotten, I believe, why they really started, which is what you're saying to him in the letter. Hey, remember why you started Facebook and why you wanted to be a, a digital frontier person, um, not this billionaire businessman. Uh, and I speak a lot about that, that he's kind of transitioned from being this um, cowboy, right, to now he's sitting up in the ivory tower and he's acting like a businessman instead of like a cowboy. And that's really sort of, you know, it may doom his company. I think it dooms him. I mean, to some extent, Sheryl Sandberg bought the business model in, you know, data has value. The more you combine it, the more value it has. Yeah. But you've got to recognize that once you've made a certain sum of money, there's an oblige about using it and that power to do something. And I think he is either had bad counsel about not to or finds it uncomfortable to do it. But the consequences face us all. Anybody in the data business, which is the essence of transformation, at a company level is going to have that problem. If you own a small jewelry store in Austin, Texas, and you're collecting data, you have an obligation to protect that information a customer gives you. And I think that is a new imperative for executives that is going to affect us all. And you can't legislate about it because governments are always so slow. They legislate for something that happened 10 years ago, not something that's going to happen in the next five. Right. And your, and your point is, too, that um, businesses, especially uh, quick-moving industries, will just find uh, their way around. They'll go to sort of the, the, uh, 
the least common denominator, the fastest route, you know, all those acronyms, but they'll, they'll find their way um, and they'll just shift just enough to thrive again in the new environment. And so they'll always be able to stay ahead of, of legislation. And that is perfectly put. And that's exact. And that's the piece we talked about in Forbes uh, last week with uh, Bruce Rogers. But that's why I think organizations leadership have to start taking, you know, moral and ethical decisions much more seriously than just incremental tactics, because data now becomes a currency and the trust between them and a customer is a really important consequence of successful transformed organizations is that you're going to have a lot of customer information and data that you have that obligation to protect and, you know, correctly compass in the right direction when you use it. Hey, Michael, you keep talking about, um, as I'm listening, right, the digital transformation uh, that needs to happen and, and the, what, the $1.7 trillion that was spent, but $1.4 was actually effective. But you also talk about the human... Ineffective. <laughs> was ineffective. Yeah. Yes, ineffective, right? So all of us are going under... I mean, Sandra and I are, right, with what we're doing with our... Uh, the coaching that we do and the training and the podcast, right? We're constantly trying to keep up digitally. Um, but also you have kind of the high uh, tech side, but you also have the high touch side and that's the human side, the the personal side, who you are as a leader. And, and the two don't exist in a, a vacuum. It sounds like you can't have a successful digital transformation without really addressing the human element of it also personally. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, and I'll add two dimensions. So when we did the, the research for the book, what we actually revealed was seven digital DNA markers. And there are, I think, two, three maybe that are really important. The first one is that executives need to actually behave like digital explorers. You can't just mandate change. You actually have to live it. So that capacity to roll up one sleeve and be part of a process at a very deep tactical level was in places like Hallmark or MasterCard or IBM or USAA, really key examples of success. Second thing we found is that everybody is actually responsible to each other. You've got to get out of silos. And understanding how you know you and I and Sandra are all motivated is a critical part for how we share better. If we, don't, if we have bad assumptions about each other or false assumptions about each other, we won't share well. And digital is about this rapid sharing, iteration, experimentation model. I think the third thing that's really important is that organizations that were really successful, those are the ones that didn't waste 1.4 trillion, whatever, or some portion <laughs> of that, were really good at moving strategically just one step ahead at a time. It was like they were great at flying jet planes or they were fantastic at, at sailing race boats. They didn't try and predict so far ahead what was happening because the world is going to change so much, they had to be adaptable to that process. So the focus on collaboration, resourcing, flexibility, and agility is really a leadership personality style issue. In fact, we argue much in the book, and we'll find out from the Forbes research, that training that performance mindset, training that leadership mindset may be a much better investment than spending another dollar on technology, frankly. Yeah, and I, I love in the book you say, you say uh, well, the book really is written almost as a guide. I mean, a lot of, you know, small to medium-sized businesses, 12 million of them across America, they should go buy this book because really it's written as a guide for businesses. And in the book, you say you have to find 20 hours a week now to focus on digital transformation to, you know, think about it or that you're going to get left behind. And that's, that's a daunting number for some people. 
But I don't think there's a choice. It's this, and it, thank you for reading and reciting. I don't think there's a choice. In fact, I'll give an interesting fact. We're just digging through this new work with Forbes. And we found that 20% of all leadership, particularly in big organizations, I mean 500 plus, were spending at least 27 hours a week now doing this. 27 hours a week. It's like, you know, it's an amazing number. But their chance of success when measured across like 30 business metrics was eight times higher than those that spent less than 20 hours. You're like, there's a correlation. I mean, in terms of return on OPEX, SGNA, CAPEX, all the things we talk about, those that invested more time were infinitely or significantly more successful across all those metrics. And I do think there's that many things now where you can say, if I spend an extra three hours or four hours, what's the economic return? Hey, yeah. Michael, you know, the, the folks listening, I'm, I, I would guess right now hearing this, they definitely like uh, kind of lean forward. I did. And I wrote that down 20 hours a week, you know, from maybe a, a, a small startup business to, you know, these 12 million, you know, businesses with 500 or less employees. What advice do you have for what, uh, what am I doing with that 20 hours a week in, in this area? So let me do two things. I'm going to send you, or we will tomorrow, we'll send you a code for mm-hmm. 100, 100 digital copies of the book because I'd like you to be able to give it away because I think particularly for small organizations, you have to give somebody um, something to get them excited. So we'll sort this out, but we'll give you 100 digital copies. Wow, thank you. you. Everybody, <laughs> if, you're here, if you're listening to this, go to our show notes page uh, at eternalleadership.com and grab your code to get this book before the the hundred get downloaded because I'm sure they'll go quickly. And thank you again, Michael. That's awesome. Oh, no, absolute pleasure. I think there's two things. I think the first thing you have to do is sit down and say, what do we want to be? I think what digital allows you to do is to almost become anything within reason you want to become because technology allows you to, as I said, you don't have to have a retail operation. You can be online. You could consult to anybody in the world from Dallas or golden because if you know how to deliver the communication and the service digitally you know we're talking right now without seeing each other i think you need to be able to sit there and imagine what's possible then i think you have to say right who am i who am i servicing it's not just customers it's who are you working with do your people have the skills currently to to transform themselves and their organization and then i think you just start picking off where do i start where do i go next Where's my comfort with experimentation? A lot of organizations can transform themselves, but you have to do it in a different way than what got you there. I always go back to this physical retail situation because maybe retail is not going to be about physical first going forward. It maybe is about digital going forward. And that maybe it's more important to have great photography than it is to have products on the shelf. Is that it really requires a different way of thinking about the challenges than we've used historically, frankly, since the Industrial Revolution, to get to where we are now. Having strong philosophical belief systems is an important part of that success. When I'm listening to you, right, because when I think of digital revolution, you know, a lot, my mind kind of goes to, you know, marketing and sales. But what you're talking about is using the digital platforms like we're doing to communicate to deliver services, to develop our people, to create, you know, better collaboration, more authentic communication. Is that is that correct? 
It's deeper. I think it's about authentic process. So the four things we measured in this last work with Forbes were what we call digital growth engine metrics, brand and culture, digital processes, and classic economics, OPEX, SGNA, CAPEX. What we've realized is that really successful digitally transforming organizations touch each one of those four areas, you know, how they drive growth in the future, how they run their processes as an organization, how their culture and brand functions, and how their economic outcomes look. And I think it's managing across that, those 29 that are really vital indicators to me of how organizations transform themselves. They don't wrap, they, they fundamentally re-engineer. Well, and, and if you, you know, what I, again, I like about your book is it's sort of a, a guiding process. It's, it, it really is sort of your consulting business in a book. Um, yes, and, exactly and how what we want to do. Yeah, <laughs> and, and how generous of you to do that. You know, most successful firms like yours wouldn't want to give away your secret sauce, right, for a $20, $20 book, and now you're giving us 100 free copies. How wonderful. Um, but, you know, time is of the essence. You know, I, I kind of, when I speak on this topic, I, I say that it's a ticking time bomb. And, you know, when the your business only has so much time left on the clock to transform or you're done. Um, and, and you sort of, you touch on that. You say, hey, this is not optional. This is something you have to do. Um, and, you know, not to be scary, but you're just saying, hey, wake up. Um, you know, when so John and I... Scary. I mean, it's fine to be scary. The issue, I, do, I think what people don't realize is that there is no time in the sand that goes, this is going to finish. But what there is a time in the sand for the point to which you can't wriggle anymore. It's sort of like getting older. You can't run 100 meters in, you know, 15 seconds, whatever. Is that at some point your choices become so limited, your end is inevitable. Maybe that's a better way. I mean, I look at Sears and other companies, their end is inevitable, but they have not transformed the way they do things. And this can happen to a small legal business. Imagine if you're selling secretarial services in Des Moines, and all of a sudden you used to do things with people coming into your office, and you'd then call up people and say, hey, do you want to hire you know, John or Peter or Jane? Well, now that's all done online, 24 by 7, without somebody in an office. And you get, at some point, you're just going to find daily pressures will grind you out. Well, and I, here's how, when I work with our clients, you know, John and I were out in the consulting world and the executive coaching world. And um, I do a lot of coaching on digital transformation for CEOs. And I tell them, hey, let's, let's flip it upside down. Let's take your digital transformation and turn it into a competitive edge. Because if you can actually embrace it, accept it, do it, completely turn your company on its head, then all of a sudden you have a competitive edge against your competitors and against larger businesses that are moving slowly. And so I take that fear and then I kind of turn it upside down and say, okay, but let's now make it, you know, something that you can use against them. And against organizations or markets you may not even know exist yet. It's the classic Uber, Amazon type feel. Yeah. But if an organization's DNA can be fundamentally digital, the future is very bright. One of the things we found in the March research, when we said, why are you trying to digitally transform? And well, we thought we'd get really specific answers. About half the audience, I think like 51% said, 
we're just transforming because it, we're trying to handle a future that's not defined yet. You know, we know if we can do this, we can handle anything. Our confidence goes up. It wasn't specifically about customers or product or service. People understand if they don't do this, they won't be able to handle the yet defined future. And I think it illustrates your point. If you get this right, you can do pretty much anything if you get it right. Right. Because it's the culture. It's, you know, yeah, great. We're going to change our actual processes to this and we're going to actually have this technology. But really what you're changing is the culture of the company. You're bringing in a a quick, you know, change accepting type culture that has a leadership team that can change on a dime. Um, and, And that's, you know, a lot of times has to do with people's management style and, um, you know, maybe how someone has been trained or how they grew up. You know, I, I speak a lot of millennials and, you know, you have this whole generation that, you know, from the time they could walk, they had some sort of digital device, right? Yes. And then you have those of us that are a little older that didn't. Um, and so, you know, I learned to type on a electric, electric typewriter and I'm only 50, right? So uh, there's the difference in our generation and our children is so profound. And so a lot of times what I see in organizations is you have the the leadership team, the founder, the CEOs that are of, of our generation. And then a lot of their employees are these millennials. And, you know, they maybe don't get each other. But what I try to pour into these senior guys is, hey, let's use them as your competitive advantage. How do you deal with that in a culture when you go into a company and you have sort of this great divide? True. There may be actually an even, an even more crystallized version, which is whereas we all learn skills, the skill they learn is adaptability. Now, that, mm. that's good. But if you have adaptability without a core philosophy or a belief system, that can be really scary. And history has shown that to be the case. So what I think executives or leadership can Im- impose backwards is a sense of, guys, you have to make some ethical, moral uh, leadership decisions here, not just be adaptable and flexible, because you have to keep that core compass about who you are, how you lead, how you manage true, as everything around you is like becoming chaotic and flapping around. And it's that sense of moral, ethical leadership construct that we saw in everybody we talked to that was successful. Mm. They kept their truth. John Owato was a great example of this. He kept him and the organization to their truth during the process, Hallmark, MasterCard, USAA, because they knew those very deep value systems were what drove success in the long run. Hey, Michael, when we, you know, this kind of reminds me, when we were, before we hit record, you, I asked you a question about just the speed of change that's just happening in the world right now, digitally and pretty much in every aspect of our life. And you know how do how do leaders respond to that change? And I I loved your answer. I'd love for you to share that because I think this fits in with what you just shared about even belief systems. Yes, yeah, so I think if you sit back and look at the way we all react to situations, there's the classic incrementalist. I'm just going to do more of what I did. You know, I'll, I'll keep trying to navigate. There's organizations that I think um, keep people in silos. But the reality of what we saw worked were really I think three very key components. A really strong personal philosophy. What do I? What am I about? What is this organization about? So, really getting in touch with our our vision, our mission, our personal core values, our corporate values, values, those kind of things. 
And again, they're good to discuss. Those are things we shouldn't hide from um, because it's an essential opening of the conversation. The second issue, and this will sound a little strange to some, is sharing has to be an essential part of this process. It's sort of Luke, you know, 638, give it and it will be given to you. You have to be able to share stuff because there isn't one genius in the room that's going to solve it. People that understand each other can solve problems a lot better when they share them. And the third issue really is clarity. What do we stand for? What do we not stand for as an organization? Where do we want to be? What do we want to look like? That sense of vision, that clarity and philosophy and sharing are really important parts of success. It doesn't mean that tough decisions won't get made. They will. But it does mean that tough decisions that are clear against the philosophy where people understand each other have a much higher chance of success than ever before. We're moving away from a machine age where people did specific things to an age where humans collaborate and engage. We often have this argument that AI may reveal, but humans are highly creative. For us to be creative, we have to share, have clarity, and have this strong sense of personal philosophy. And, you know, you also talked about, uh, which I loved, right, The and I think it's coming back to the forefront, this philosophy of just the importance of others and our in our human relationships one-on-one versus just everybody kind of operating, uh, you know, their, their system that they're responsible for. Yeah, and there's a good comment we were given back in the interview. So someone said, look, you work now 24 by 7. Nobody can escape the work construct after 5 or before 9 or after Friday and before Monday. And the only way you can really function that way with that sense of permanent connectedness, which is what digital is about, is being really honest and honorable about who you are, what you stand for, and having relationships that allow you to give each other space or when you need to get intense. And that that is important because we don't work in a nine-to-five world where we get on a train in the morning and get off in the, in the office and come back. We're very virtual by definition. It's 24 by 7, you know, 365 days a year. So you have to rely on relationships to get that to work better. You can't just say, I'll talk to you at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning because there could be an email or a voicemail or a text that goes in between. Yeah, and I tell my businesses, in fact, that, you know, the the millennial consumer isn't going to wait, and they certainly aren't waiting for you to call them back. They want, <laughs> you know, they want to be able to text you right now for an answer. And so with some of my clients were setting up, you know, autoresponders on text and, and different things like that, because at two in the morning when that millennial is researching, if you can't get them the information, they'll just move to the, your competitor, um, you know, we could talk about this all day. I know our, our listeners are on the edge of their seat. I, and I want to keep going because we didn't even get to talk about, um, you know, Disney. And I, I love this quote. You know, you talk about Disney sort of being a huge super tanker and that Netflix was a distant flash of light that's on the radar. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's like you say, it's like being the captain of a huge super tanker. And we can see on the radar something is coming towards them, some distant flash of light that gets increasingly clearer as it gets closer. The problem is that it looks really different to you on radar and then in your binoculars than anything you might have ever seen before. And so, you you, you know, your book's a New York Times are, uh, a bestseller. It's it's Amazon bestseller. And But what I love is that you're putting out content you know, very regularly. Uh, and and it's really good stuff for everybody, big business people, small business people, consultants, uh, people that are running their business out of their house. And what you're saying here is that Disney's kind of the super tanker. 
And you started telling them last year, hey, there's this thing on the horizon called Netflix that doesn't care when or where a consumer consumes their, you know, their show, their their digital media. So you better wake up. And uh, I don't know. What do you think? A year later, it doesn't look like they've woken up, does it? No, but it's a great analogy for consulting engagements. And it's maybe the one question that people should ask themselves, or with a super tanker or with a Netflix. And that's yeah. maybe because we all use both. We all experience ESPN. And that's maybe the ultimate question we realized, even when we wrote it last year, is that I, we question whether or not these organizations understand the speed, velocity, and shape of what's happening at them, or what the speed, velocity, and shape could be of what they could do in the world outside there, which could be really exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's a great way to start. And maybe that's how we end it, John. And we tell our listeners, go ask yourself this question. Are you the super tanker or are you the bright flash of light on the horizon? Um, and go get the book, The Digital Helix, because it is. It's not just a book that has, you know, all these statistics and, and things to, to scare you a little bit. But it's truly like a guide of how you can transform your company. Um, so people need to check it out. We're so glad we had you today. This is awesome. Oh, this is great. And as I said, uh, we'll, I'll connect with Sandra, but we'll get you 100 codes just to, to give out. Because I think for us, the issue is can we help people evolve? That's really, if you can help people evolve, I think we can have an amazing economy in this country. And it could actually help society be more caring, more thoughtful, and more productive. Uh, because when you're the wealthiest country in the world, you have an obligation to make that world better for people too. Yeah, so so Michael, people can so Digital Helix clearly it's on Amazon and any place you'd write a book. Your website is thedigitalhelix.com. Is there any uh other good way for people to connect with you and your yeah, organization? LinkedIn, uh LinkedIn definitely. Uh we started to play around with Twitter this weekend. I know it sounds bizarre, but I just I'm not a big fan of hostile media environments. So <laughs> yeah. I don't understand human behavior. I'm like, can't we just be loving? Um, but LinkedIn's great. And we do publish thank you about two or three times a week. And the new stuff we're going to have will literally give people free digital transformation playbooks. So if you're in healthcare or finance or services, whatever it is, it, once you've sort of worked out where you are on a map we've got, we'll actually supply you with the DNA of what it takes to be successful to get to the next level. So we're totally happy to help the world because that feels to me like the right thing to do. Love that. And hey, as we wrap up, just Michael, just any final thoughts you'd like to leave with everybody listening in? Uh, A a strong personal belief system is an essential start point for this. No no matter what it is, you need to understand that humans are remarkable, but systems are better for understanding how humans work together, particularly in a digitally transforming world. Love that. Great way to end. Totally agree. Michael, thank you so much. You are the best. We'll connect you. That's a lovely conversation. Have a wonderful day. 